can go to their service in the back, their class. And like I always say, let's be praying for that class because they're being taught who Jesus is, what the Christian life's about, and beliefs we believe. And just pray for the teachers back there and the kids that they have open minds, hearts, and um, that the Holy Spirit will work, okay? So let's not forget about the class that's going on while we're listening to God's Word up here. Um, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to read the Scripture first, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll see what the Gospel of Mark has for us today. Um, So let's read the Scripture. If you haven't turned there, you can turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to chapter 5, verse 20. And if you see the title there, How Do You Respond to Storms? We're going to see a a couple storms in here as we read, so... Follow along as I read. Mark chapter 4, starting in 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. He begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. 
and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Amen to that. We could stop there. Because I've studied this all week and I'm like, you can just read that and be touched, be encouraged about who Jesus is. So let's pray as we dive into this because there's some key things I want to point out that might help us as we look at storms today. So let's pray. God, help us as we seek your wisdom, and seek the Holy Spirit's guiding into truth today. Help us to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for Mark and the gospel writer writing this down for us to read today. Thank you for those who are listening today, whether it's here in person or online. I pray that we would have open ears and minds and hearts to what you have for us today. God, I, I plead with you, I urge you that your words be spoken. Um, just put me aside and allow the Spirit to work in this place today. God, thank you for Jesus. As we remembered his death, burial, and resurrection today, we have new life in Christ, and that is something to be thankful for. In Jesus' name, amen. So you've heard it read, and the question that you see there is, how do you respond to storms, or how do we respond to storms? Storm, I looked up Merriam-Webster, the most trusted dictionary, right, in the world, right? I looked up storm because I love the word storm, I liked storms as a kid, sometimes I like to be inside as storms go, but... Here's how Merriam-Webster defines storm. I'll give you four of them because they're all good. Number one, a serious disturbance of any element of nature. We've seen many of those, right? You probably have. Number two, a disturbed or agitated state. Number three, a tumultuous outburst. Number four, a violent assault on a defended position. Have you been in a storm, through a storm, or have seen a storm? Anybody? How many of you have been in a storm? How many of you have been through a storm? Whether driving or maybe in a boat or hunting even. Maybe there's been a storm. I don't know. Or have seen a storm? So everybody knows a storm, right? When I was a kid, when a storm came, the thunder and lightning, I loved sitting in my, our living room growing up and just imagine Jesus or God play, uh, doing some bowling. And every time that large thunder cloud broke into that 
I was like, he just got a strike. So I loved to just listen and watch storms. One time we were driving home from a golf outing, me and my cousin and my uncle, and we drove past the telephone pole and a lightning struck the top of the telephone pole as soon as we went by. It's another storm I was in. It's cool to see storms. But how do you respond when you're in a storm? And we're going to see in this two passages that we read, there's two types of storm. There's a natural storm and there's a supernatural storm happening. And Jesus does something similar in both of them. And we're going to see that today. So how do you and I respond to storms? The key verse, I think, as you look there, I think this is the key verse. We're going to revolve around this other question in this chapter. Verses, verse 41. Can you turn there and look at verse 41? It's the key verse. And better yet, the question, I think, is the key question in this passage, this section. It says, who is this? The disciples are terrified and they ask each other, who is this? Who are they talking about? Jesus. So who is this? I think that's the key question in this paragraph, these two sections because of this. One writer, Paul McReynolds, in his commentary He said this, the unanswered question, who is this? He said the reading, listening audience should answer the question for themselves. As you're reading Mark and you get to that, the disciples are terrified and they ask each other, who is this? Should we be asking each other that question? Who is Jesus to you? How would you answer that question? And I hope you have a reason and know how to answer that question. But Paul McReynolds points out, whoever's reading this, whoever's listening to the Gospel of Mark, should answer that question for themselves. Don't let me answer it for you. Because if you don't believe what I say, then that's not going to do no good to you. So think about that question. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? The disciples ask each other. So let's dive into this. So remember... Those two questions, how do you respond to storms and who is this? They go together, and you'll find that out as we go through this. So start. look at verse 35 again. We've read it, but look at verse 35 to 41. What's happening? Jesus and the disciples are in the boat. Remember, Jesus is probably teaching from the boat earlier. Remember, he's teaching the parables. The crowd was gathered at the shoreline, and he's teaching the crowd the soil parable, and we heard last week the lamp and the growing seed and the mustard seed, right? He just got done teaching. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, we're going to the other side of the lake. So let's go. So they get in the boat. They're leaving the crowd behind. They get into the boat where Jesus was already at, probably that's why it says, just as he was in the boat. So Jesus is ready to go. And one writer pointed this out. I've, never, I've noticed it, but you don't think about it very often. It says there were also other boats with him. We have no idea what happened to those boats. <laughs> but there was other boats with him. But it just doesn't tell us where it, what happens to them. And one writer said it's definitely an eyewitness account. There are small details that maybe some writer probably wouldn't even put in there if it, didn't, if it wasn't an eyewitness account. So, 
Other boats were with them. And then what happens? Oh no. They get onto the lake. They're crossing to the other side. Remember, there's some fishermen on board, right? Peter, Andrew, James, John. Do they know what this sea, this lake does at a storm? Do they? Yes. And one happens, okay? They're in the middle. I don't know how far they were off the shore, but a furious squall came up, and I had to look up furious squall because I'm like, what does that mean? I know what you're all thinking I know what it means, but Keith doesn't know because he had to look it up. But the Greek word, and watch this, the Greek word for furious is megas. Ooh, mega. And the squall is lalapse. So it's a megas lalapse. A squall or lalapse is never a single gust. It's not just a single gust of wind. Nor a steadily blowing wind, however violent, but a storm breaking forth from black thunderclouds in furious gust with floods of rain and throwing everything topsy-turvy. According to Aristotle, it is a whirlwind revolving from below upward. Can you imagine that? This boat is being topsy-turvy. I don't know how it just doesn't flip over, but it never flips over according to the story. We don't see it. But it's like from the below. The water is just cycling this boat and throwing them around. I could only imagine those fishermen and the other disciples with them. I, you know, what's going on? We've never been in this storm. You probably have, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What do we do? But it's happening. So, if you wanted to learn some Greek, you have a megas lalapse right there. And what do they do? Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Another one of those small details. Only somebody that was there probably knew that, right? They were, somebody that was with him told Mark to write this down. Jesus was on a cushion. Can you believe that guy? Jesus was just sleeping through this storm. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They are, they're like, why are you sleeping, Jesus? You care about us, don't you? And what does Jesus do? He rebukes the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. And what happens? Calm. Calmness happens. It ceased. There's no more waves. There's no more topsy-turvy. There's no more of that. But then he says, why are you so afraid? Has anybody asked you that before? Why are you so afraid during a storm? And then, do you still have little faith? Does it say that? Does it say little faith? It says, do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey. You know I like to look up words, and this is an interesting thing right here. Jesus says, why are you so afraid? That word afraid is timid, fearful, okay? Why are you just so timid about this storm? 
You still have no faith. And then they were terrified. So Jesus said, why are you so timid and fearful? And they were terrified. That word terrified means it's phobia. It's to fear a great fear. And Jesus has said, why are you so timid? But they're fearing a great fear. They're more than timid. Wow. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? They were terrified of who Jesus was. Can you, I can't fathom that. They were terrified because Jesus just stopped wind and waves. He made the storm calm. We've been in this situation before. Peter and Andrew, James and John are probably thinking, we've been in a storm and we had to get through it. We had to get back to shore and get our fish on board and just get out of the sea while we were fishing. But Jesus calms it and they're terrified because this man, Jesus, has authority over wind and waves. Nature. Jesus controls the nature. Emerson Powery pointed out in his commentary on this, um, and he quotes Psalm 89, verse 9, but he's, and that talks about God being the controller of the nature of winds and waves. And he said, In Jesus' day, people thought that such authority over nature, especially a chaotic sea, is unique to God. Remember earlier in Mark, who can forgive sins but God? And who forgave sins? Jesus. And now, only unique to God can perform this miracle of calming the sea is God. Who is this man? They're not getting it yet. Fully. They're walking with Jesus. They're hearing Him teach, but they're still asking we don't even know who this person is. Who is this guy? We might be asked, some people might be asking the same question today. Who's Jesus? I know he's a good teacher. I know he's a miracle. But who is this guy? And we have to be there to answer those tough questions maybe about people that don't know who Jesus is. Who is this man? And then he talks about what? Why do you still have no faith? Why do you have no faith? Pistis is the word, and I think I've said it a while back, but this word means trust or confidence, whether in God or in Christ. They don't have faith in this guy yet, fully. Jesus says, why don't you have any faith right now? I'm with you. And they don't get it. So they're terrified. But Jesus calms the storm of the natural order okay so you have this natural storm and jesus has control over them but then you get to the other side of the lake right they get to the other side of the lake they cross it to the region of the garrisons and just so you know your translation might say one or more other words there's three words that have been translated for this region of the garrisons and it's another interesting thing because Yes, you know, I like definitions of words, okay? And this fathomed me because it helped me understand more about this region, okay? Gerasenes is a Gentile territory. That might open your eye right there. 
They're out of the Jewish territory that, where they were in Galilee. That's mostly Jewish. Now they're going over to the other side to Gentile territory. That's Gerasenes. That's in my, the NIV. But another translation says Gadarenes. Anybody? Gadarenes. I see a couple hands. That, the definition for that is reward at the end. When we go through this story, you'll kind of see that, a reward at the end. Gergesenes, anybody? Gergesenes. That's another word. It said, this means a stranger drawing near. Think about those three definitions. You have Gentile territory, reward at the end, a stranger drawing near. Who's coming to Jesus? This man that lived in the tombs, a stranger, you might say, is coming to Jesus. It just opened my eye a little bit, those three words. So, Jesus gets out of the boat, and a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So, this guy has lived in the tombs pretty much all of his life, probably. And what do people try to do? They try to what? Subdue him or chain him up so he would be calm and stay out of our way, right? Stay in the tombs. They're trying to tame him like an animal. We don't see that today, do we? We try to control people, dehumanize people. We don't see that. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. But this person is has an impure spirit and nobody could tame him. Nobody could do that because he would always break out of the chains. He's always cutting himself. He's shrieking as loud as he could probably and you could hear it. But this man comes to Jesus and he shouts at the top of his voice. What does he shout? What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And that phrase, Son of the Most High God, is only um, used... Most of the time, from a Gentile perspective, no Jewish person usually said that phrase. Don't torture me in God's name. Don't torture me. A lot of writers I studied didn't think like I thought because I think there's Yes, he has an impure spirit in him, but there's also that humans, he is in there. I see both being at play. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. But then Jesus, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then you get what is your name, Legion, for we are many. So now there's many, which is probably the impure spirits. But I also see that humanity in there. Like, don't torture me. People have already tried that. They're chaining me up. They're, they're, they're putting me outside the city. They don't even welcome me back in. So I see both at play, but no writer agreed with me. So, But I wanted to point that out because I think they're both there. And then Jesus gets the, you know, don't, don't send us out of the area. Keep us in here. Then the pigs are there. So Jesus sends them to the pigs. And what happens? They all drown. They go down the hillside and drown. 
because he gave them permission to do that. Okay? And this is an interesting... If you've read Job with us from the reading through the Bible, God allowed Satan to attack Job. Here, the demons only have permission by who? Jesus, God, to do what they want to do. Jesus could have told them, no, you're not going into the pigs. But he allowed them. He gave them permission to do it. So only demons have permission to do what Jesus wants them to do. Okay, Jesus has the right to do that. So the pigs happen. They drown. Those tending the pigs, they run off, report it to the town. And then what happens? People come out to see what happened. Right? The whole town probably was like, what happened? How many pigs did you have? Right? 2,000. Remember? There's 2,000 pigs. That's a big business. But... They come out to see what happened. They see the demon-possessed guy sitting in, their, in his right mind. Now he's dressed in clothes. He's there. He's normal. they never probably seen him normal before. And they're afraid. Okay? They're afraid. Who was afraid in the storm at the sea? Remember? The disciples were afraid. It's the same word, phobio. They were afraid, but this afraid is they were struck with amazement. They were like, what just happened? Jesus did this? This guy did this? Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to stay here, right? Stay here, Jesus. Do some more miracles. Do some more healings. Please come with us to our town a little farther away. Did they say that? No, they're like, "Uh, Jesus, leave, please. Just get out of town. Nobody's told you to do that, right? Please leave. No, they were like, Jesus, we don't want you here. You need to leave our region. And he does, right? He gets back into the boat and goes. But what happens after that? The demon-possessed man comes to who? Jesus. And begs him, let me come with you. Let me come with you, Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, come on, get in the boat. If I was the demon-possessed man, I would be wanting to go with Jesus too. Um, But Jesus says, Not today. We have to go into the boat to the other side. We're going to go back to where we came from, but you have to stay here. Jesus says this. He did not let him, but said, Go home. What a beautiful phrase. Two simple words. Go home. The demon possessed, this, not demon possessed anymore. The man probably has never seen home for a while. And Jesus says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. Jesus gives him a mission. He's not living in the tombs anymore. He's dressed in His right mind and Jesus says, You have a mission. Emerson Powery pointed this out, the one I quoted earlier. According to Mark, 
such diversity does not begin with Paul. It begins right here with Jesus because he's saying, go to your Gentile nation, your Gentile city, and speak the name of God. It started here. People will hear about Jesus from this man. Go home. Tell everything that happened to you. Because the other people don't want me here. But you're still here. So go for me. Speak my name. Speak what Jesus has done for you. Walter Wessel says this, the crowds, the people ask Jesus to leave, and he did. Jesus does not stay where he is not wanted. Do people know that you spend time with Jesus? When people come and hang out at your house, do they say, man, Jesus has been here? Or do they say, you're different when at church and when you're here. What, what's the problem? Jesus doesn't stay where he is not wanted. And these people want him to leave. But Jesus says, hey, you're going to get my name anyway. This man's going to come to your city and the Decapolis, which is ten cities, and speak the name of Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. And you're going to hear it. And you see at the end there, all the people were amazed, Right? They were amazed at this man's testimony. Verses 19 and 20 there, you see the Lord there, right? Go home to your own people. Tell how much the Lord has done for you. The word Lord is kurios, and it's the title given to God, the ruler of the universe. And then Jesus, you see that, how He has had mercy on you, and then at the very end there, how much Jesus had done for him. He's talking about Jesus the man, how much Jesus saved me from this impure spirit and made me clean, and now he's giving me a mission to tell you about Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah is salvation. So you have the ruler of the universe. How much mercy the ruler of the universe had on this man. And now he's speaking Jesus, saying, Jesus has healed me of this impure spirit, which is Jehovah's salvation. There's only salvation in who? Jesus, who is the Son of the Most High God. Remember chapter 1, verse 1, Mark says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's what we're going to talk about in the book of Mark. Mark says, we're going to talk about Jesus and all that he's done. Do we tell people how much God has done for us and how much Jesus has done for us? Do we shout it out from the rooftops? Or do we just shy away from it and say, well, Jesus has saved me. I hope He saves you too. Or do we actually tell people, I was once broken. I was once away from Jesus and He saved me. Now I'm here and I'm telling you about Him because He's done a lot for me and He's going to do a lot for you if you believe Him and let Him too. In a book on my shelf, I had to pick it up again. 
William Placker says this, in the gospel stories, Jesus' cures of such folk do the same thing as teaching does. They welcome outsiders into a more inclusive community. The sick are healed in a way that not only changes a medical condition, but restores to them a social position within the culture. This man was restored into the culture, right? Because Jesus said, go home to your people. How do we look at people that have a past that is so different than us? How do we view them when they come back as a saved person and back into the culture? And how do we welcome them back? Do we say, ooh, you're that type of person? Or do we say, welcome home, brother or sister. Let's hear about your testimony. Or are we scared to even welcome them back into a culture that sometimes pushes people away because of their past? And the church does it too. I've heard stories about church. They're like, oh, we can't can't welcome them in our church because they have a history. Don't. I think that's Jesus here. Go home. Welcome home, we should say to people. One of my professors in seminary, he had a friend that was put in jail for a crime that he did and he was released and nobody welcomed him back, but this professor did. And he became friends with him. He was hanging out at his house and people were like, you have young daughters, why are you letting them in his house? And he said, what? I have to because that's what Jesus would do. We can't write people off. And I think that's what we can learn. Jesus is saying, you are healed, you are going home, and you need to proclaim your testimony because people are going to listen to you. Because what happens? All the people were amazed. I'll end with this. Who is this? Remember the disciples say, who is this? So who is Jesus and how do you respond to storms? How do you respond to those things in your life? Whether it's a natural storm that happens, because a lot of those happen, or how does you know, a storm in your life... This man lived in tombs and he's gone through a storm, but now he's restored and says, I'm going to share it with everybody. It's even written down for people to read about you know, how many years later. Still preaching, still being taught. So I'll end with this for your invitation. Go to Romans chapter 1 with me. Romans chapter 1, because remember I said it earlier, Mark chapter 1 verse 1, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus the Messiah. And Romans chapter 1, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. Now, just so you know, Mark was writing to the church of Rome too. Here we go. Or had a Roman audience in mind. Paul writes this, Romans 1, verse 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. And we know what the good news is, right? Jesus, the Messiah. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel of of the 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith with a confidence, trust in God and in Christ. The gospel has power. The gospel has power to change lives. Has it changed your life? I heard one. Okay? Thank you, Bill. Has the gospel changed your life? People online, has the gospel changed your life? I hope I see some amens in the comments. But Paul is saying the gospel has power to bring salvation to everyone who believes. So if you believed in Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and has changed your life, there's power in that. And we can't just sit around and just sit and sit and sit. We need to be like Jesus, giving us a mission to that man that has been healed. He says, go home, tell your testimony to anybody who's going to listen, and then other people will listen and be amazed and hopefully be changed by the power of the gospel. Now, this, I'm going to quote three people in a row, but I think it helps as we give an invitation here. So David Garland in his commentary, it says, Reading Mark helps one learn to trust in a Savior who does not deliver, who does not deliver us from storms, but through the storms. We see that in Mark. And then you have... Thomas Hoyt Jr. in his book on testimony, his chapter in a book, writes this, Life is stronger than death. People can change with God's help. God is worthy of our thanks and praise. When was the last time you said, Thank you, Jesus, for saving me? And then hymn writer William Reynolds in the hymn, Share His Love. This is the chorus. Share His love by telling what the Lord has done for you. Share His love by sharing of your faith. And show the world that Jesus Christ is real to you every moment, every day. Has the gospel changed your life? Has Jesus changed your life? Who is Jesus? And how do I respond to storms? I think we have to look to Jesus. Jesus said this, The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And then a little bit later, he tells some of his followers, come follow me. Come follow me, the Savior of the world. And one of my favorite passages in Romans, for those of you who have been baptized into Christ. You're no longer dead, but you're raised to a new life. That's what baptism is. You say, Lord, I need you. I'm dead to sin now. I repent of that. I'm going to go to the watery grave and come up a new person. And right now I'm remembering my own baptism. I don't know about you, but I hope you are. Because it's a picture that I'm constantly reminding myself of, I've been raised to a new life. It's no longer the dead, old, corrupt life. It's a new life in Christ. Has the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, has it changed your life? I hope it has, and I hope you're sharing it with people. So let's pray today.
God, thank you so much for Mark writing these stories down. Jesus is the calmer of storms, whether natural, supernatural. He can calm a storm. Jesus is the Savior of the world, and I pray that we believe that, we live it out, so that other people can hear about it. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know Jesus, they're like, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? I pray that they would talk to somebody. That they would see that Jesus changes lives. Thank you so much for what Jesus did for us. And help us with the Holy Spirit's help to live a new life that's impacting the community around us. So thank you for those who have heard today, including myself. Continue to work in this place. Continue to work in the people that are here and online and in the community that may be listening even right now and maybe see us on a daily basis. Help us to proclaim Jesus. And as we sing this last song, let us shout from the rooftops what Jesus has done for us. Because He's done a lot. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus who calms storms of natural life and storms of the supernatural. Reminded again, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this world. There's spiritual realm around us that are trying to get us down. But thank you, Jesus for being the God who is in control. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.